Welcome to episode 224 of Three Beers and Movie. I'm Richard Laird and I'm with Barry Neil. Barry, it's been a while. It's been we worked out with over three months since you've been on talking on this. Yes. Yes. You I have been, been kind of busy, not really busy, kind of busy, you know. You yeah. have been missed, sir. You have been missed. Is it? You you did you were on it for you're a big, you're a very long run during lockdown when you were pretty much on <laughs> every week. Um as we <laughs> We had to went through therapy for fifty two weeks trying to, to, to deal with the hell of lockdown. Um, <laughs> but as the world reopens, people's plans are a bit different. We don't quite sync up as as, as we have done in the past. Um, so as a Sunday night, um, are you drinking anything of note on a Sunday night? Uh, I'm actually still in holiday, so I could have grabbed a beer, but I just couldn't be asked if I'm being brutally honest. So I'm drinking Pepsi Max tonight. Oh, classy! Yes, very classy. Um, I am. A little bit rough in the voice today after being at the football and a gig last night. So I'm on hot chocolate because I, I don't think my throat would take any more beer just now. It's um, nice, uh, nice. a slightly tender place. So it's very subdued, chilled out, three beers on a Sunday night for us. So we've got lots to talk about, um, but not so much about the beer this time. It'll be more about the movies this week. Mm. Excellent. Yes. Um, one we can talk about, not, we'll get onto the new ones, but I think we're going to talk about one very correctly for me. We did. Colin did talk about it last week, if he'd saw it last week, and that was Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, I've now seen it, you've seen it as well. So, um, you can touch on our thoughts on that one, because we are, I think we're safe to say we are child, we are like sort of children of the era where Ghostbusters means a lot to us. Like, we are big fans yeah. of Ghostbusters. You know, like, I, I was always a huge fan of it as a kid, and the cartoon <laughs> and the movies, so, um, so it's quite nice to be able to touch, you know, find something that comes back from your childhood and, and talk about it. Um, this one was directed by Jason Reitman, um, who directed a lot of films, Juno, Up in the Air, to, to name a few. Um, the plot is it's quite a weird one. It's kind of, it, it skews quite young. It's like basically Stranger Things meets Ghostbusters. I think that's sort of the best way to describe it. That's how a lot of people describe it. It does skew yes. a lot younger. And um, we've got a young girl um, and her family moved back to a, like a farmhouse been left to them by their granddad. And who would have thought the granddad happens to be one of the OG Ghostbusters? They start finding all his stuff and his sort of like plans. Um, ghosts get released, big monster gets released, and the kids are going to try and stop this. Basically, that's essentially the plot of the story. Um, if you've yeah. seen Ghostbusters, it follows the Ghostbusters story very closely. Um, mm. Interesting cast you get Finn Wolfhard, McKenna Grace, Carrie. Um, uh, Paul Rudd pops up in it as well. J.K. Simmons pops up. Did you, did you notice J.K. Simmons? No. He's a, Where does he pop up? He's a guy in the coffin. No way. Uh-huh. Uh, Literally, what, one scene? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's in it. Um, yeah, what did you think of this one? What did you think of it? <sighs> this was actually really good. Uh, I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more than the last one that came out. Uh, because you're a misogynist prick, that's why. Not even that, dude. It's just, I thought the other one was just, I don't know, it was just, it was, I just don't think I was the audience for the last one, you know. Enough. I know we spoke, I know we spoke off mic about this, but I just found the whole thing up, just, I don't know, there was just something about it that just, it never settled right. Right. Um, I quite like this direction. I know you're saying there that it's aimed at a younger audience. I didn't actually mind it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I actually thought it was kind of quite charming in a way. I Aye. know we're kind of in the era of like Stranger Things, and I know the new season's about to drop at some point. But I actually, I, I don't know, I just found the whole thing very charming. 
Uh, I, I liked what they'd done with it. It wasn't like it wasn't like over the top. Uh, with like they could have made it so much more, but I liked yes. in terms of like all the ghosts and all that. But I felt like they were very reserved, and that's what made it really good. It was more about the actual characters, like the actual humans, rather than the oh here we go, we're going to spunk a massive budget on ghosts and all that shit. No, you're absolutely. Um, I thought that yeah. as well actually, because that's what that's what the first Ghostbusters had as well. The first Ghostbusters it was all about it was all about the characters, and the ghosts are actually quite brief in the story. Mm-hmm. There's not there's not as so much about that. Um, yeah. I think it's fair to say we're both fans of Stranger Things as well. So combining these two worlds actually works quite well for us. Um, yeah, yeah. Some of the nostalgia was was nice, and I enjoyed it, and I thought it worked really well. Some of it maybe a little bit, you know, sort of hit, like hitting, sort of twisting itself to try and get it in. Like there's there's at least one character who turns up in it who you go, she she doesn't need to be there. That, that's a kind of pointless yeah. reference. Um, and how the how the um, they crammed the who you're going to call line in. That felt a bit cringy <laughs> to me. That was very cringy. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, like, <laughs> it was very... The nostalgia wasn't... Was there a lot like, in terms of like, sort of... like The story was very much the same as the first Ghostbusters. You know, mm-hmm. down to the fact, you know, she's even wearing the same outfit and she's even using the same dialogue as the, the first Ghostbusters. It's got the whole, you know, gatekeeper and keymaster stuff and, it, so it's, and Gozar in it and stuff like that. So it's got pretty much the same story. So that felt very familiar. It would be nicer if it did try and stand on its own two feet a little bit, you know, maybe bring a mm-hmm. bit more mythology to it. But there's some really nice stuff, really sweet stuff in it. In the final 20 minutes, we won't spoil it because there is some stuff in there you don't want to spoil. It, hit, mm. it mostly hit home for me. Like There's a few things about it I didn't really like, but for the most part, yeah. I got the, the sentiment and, the, and behind it, and it really actually did bring a wee tear to the yeah. eye. It did. It did. And, uh, you know, there's other folk that have, even when they've been sitting watching it with their kids, they've actually ended up quite glassy eyed mm. at certain bits that happen at the end. Like they've kind of looked at their kid and they've ended up well enough and all that aye. because of what it represents, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I I like that. I can't complain about it. You know, it's like what I'm kind of seeing online is a lot of people are quite content with it. Yeah. So it's it can only be a good thing. Is this going to be a reboot of the franchise? Who knows? We don't right. actually know. So, no. time will tell, you know. If I was getting that I rating... Would, I, personally, I would love it if this was some sort of, like, crazy reboot and it's like, this was almost like a passing of the torch. Yes. You know? I would mind you it. Know? I would mind it. Yeah. Um, if I, would give it, I would give it a 7 out of 10 if I was giving it a rating. Go, go with yourself. Yeah, that's pretty solid, man. I was going to give it an 8. Ooh, you know? even better. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's just because there's probably <laughs> that, and also the fact was like that was the first movie I've seen at the movies that I've actually got actual red hot popcorn. Right, so okay. It's like the perfect, perfect yes. combination, you know. The experience is as much as any. The experience means as much yeah. as actual film. Sometimes there's absolutely that that effect of it. Um, absolutely. Yeah, we'll just we'll touch that very briefly because Colin did get a review on it last week. We don't really, we don't often tend to go over the same ground, and they probably try and keep it all. As fresh as we can. Um, So on to the first film, the first new film of the week. Um, And that is a film that's out on Netflix. And it is called Tick, Tick, Boom. With an exclamation mark. Always like a film that's got an exclamation mark in it. Um, Directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's his directing debut, but he is exceptionally well known for writing things like Hamilton and In the Heights. He also does all the music for Moana. And he does another film this week when we talk about he does music for Encanto as well. Um, as an actor, he pops up in Mary Poppins Returns. He plays the, the, the chimney sweep. So the man is a very ah. busy, 
busy, busy gentleman. He, he gets around in terms of his work, so he's a very busy man. Um, he's also in this, he, he's got a wee tiny role as he plays a chef in the diner. Yes. Yeah, so he's, he's in, in it there. Anyway, so the plot of this one is based on the life of Jonathan Larson, um, who is a, a, a Broadway struggling Broadway playwright who was trying to write the perfect music or this music that he wanted to do. Um, and it's him basically trying to sort of sell this musical and it's just basically getting kicked back and kicked back and, he, and he's like sort of hesitant to try and do any of because he's a great lyricist and a great, he, he, he's a great mind for music, but he just, he won't do like jingles and stuff like that. He won't work with companies who he doesn't like their, their message and things like that. He won't just take the easy money. Um, what he does get very famous for in later life is he writes Rent. That, that's his sort of massive, like, huge success which, not spoiling it, is set up very early on in the film. Um, he didn't even live to see it. He died on the opening night of it. Oh, for fuck's sake. So they, they, <laughs> they, um, he had a, I think it's a rhythmia in the heart. It's something that is it's sort of, if you look at pictures of him, the way he is, he's very elongated fingers and things like that. That's something to do with it. It's, um, and it, he had a weird heart defect that ended up killing him. And it killed him, like I said, it killed him. And on the opening night of his, of the rent, where Red became like, the biggest thing on Broadway for like 20 years. So um, very sad. This is basically his life story um, told sort of, uh, in a, sort of, and then through, through the guise of the musical on stage as well. Um, in the film, you've got Andrew Garfield. He's playing Jonathan Larson. Um, you've got Vanessa Hudgens, Alexandra Shipp, um, Jonathan Mark Sherman, Joshua Henry, Bradley Whitford, and Robin De Jesus or Jesus. Um, you have indicated to me already this, it's not your favourite film of the week, so I will let you talk about it first, and then I will come to it. I will come very strongly to its defence. Um, so, what did you think? See of now, this I, see now, I feel bad because I'm about to shit on it, and you're all like, "This guy had a heart defect." <laughs> Fire away! Uh, uh, what what what, uh, did, what do you think of this film? Well, I only got to just over the hour mark, mm. and then I had enough. I had, I literally had enough. <laughs> no way! Uh, right, uh, preface this. Are you a fan of musicals? Yes and no. Right. Because some do hit home. It's it's definitely a Marmite thing. It's like, I'm either going to engage with it really quickly or I'm just going to be like, nah, this is a pile of horseshit. What's a musical you would like? What one have you watched and you liked? Uh, I'm intrigued by this because I I, I felt that big problem, but not a big problem, I thought... This film is definitely a Marmite film, and if you're not into musicals, you're going to fucking hate it. Right. If you're a musical kid, you'll like it. I think... You've kept putting me on the spot about what musicals I like. (laughs) Nothing's come to my head. But here's here's where I think... I know the guy wrote musicals, right? So... But I feel that this movie would have worked better if it was just a straight movie. I felt that see all the interjecting of, like, songs... Mm. I was just a lot of them I was just like I liked the ones when they were on the stage and right. they were actual like the finished items but see when it was like in between scenes the, okay, the the songs that were there and they were pushing the story along I'm like I would have been more than happy if that dialogue was just it was just dialogue, it was just right, said okay. gotcha. right, rather okay. than like uh, the whole like, kind of break up in the flat and then also like the bit at I did actually like the one at the diner. I will admit that one about the Sunday right. people coming in and, and just generally being a pain in the ass. Aye. I get that, but like I said, a lot of it I felt, well, at least for just over the hour mark, I felt like <laughs> a lot of it could have just been left on the floor and then just left the songs to the actual bit when they're on the stage. 
you know. Uh, but overall, I don't know. I don't know why this never clicked last night with me. I don't know. I don't know why. No, I mean, I get it. I mean, because this is what I like. It is a film. I think it is quite a Marmite film. I think it will connect with people. I connect or it won't connect. Um, mm. I was a bit hesitant. I wasn't really sure what to expect from it. I'm a big fan of Lin Manuel. Um, so I was intrigued to see what he done as a director. Um, really, it was Andrew Garfield in the, in the lead. He commits to it so heavily, yeah, yeah. so fucking heavily early on. I'm like, I am kind of in with this kid. He seems to know, I'm a comic kid, he's probably older than me, but he <laughs> is absolutely invested in what he's doing. And it's really impressive to watch him on because he's basically, I've only been known as like Spider Man, a couple of other wee things. He's never really had that sort of outward sort of like flamboyance to him. So it was really mm. impressive to see that. Um, I thought the songs were awesome. I thought they were really great and catchy. Um, it is very much a musical musical, you know, so it is a lot of people singing dialogue at each other at times, um, which again, total hit or miss people. Some people like it, people don't. Um, but for me, it, it managed to balance the whole kind of fake documentary kind of, because it's got like, kind of almost a full documentary, the musical numbers mm. and the drama. It balances well. Miranda does a really good job at keeping the tone relatively concise throughout all of them. The only thing I didn't really like about it, it's not, it's not a bad thing about the film, but it, it's the fact that it makes you feel, if you're over 30, it really kicks home that you've got to achieve something really big. And I'm like, shit. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's like subconsciously that's what was going on because I'm like, this guy's great and I've been 29 or something. I, and I'm like 36 and my hip is sore. <laughs> I'm like, the fuck? I can't stand at a 90 minute football game without having to like spend two days recovering from it. And this guy, you know, it's like, you know, there was feel madly. So, anyone who's over 30 will feel a lot of like, what the fuck have I done? You know, so um, it, it can be quite jarring for someone. Um, but, you know, I really liked it. And I thought the emotional punch in the third act, it really does hit hard. Um, I think, I just thought I'd, I'd really I had no expectations for this. And I really enjoyed it. And I found, and we've had the, the, the soundtrack on our iPods and stuff like that over the last like week or so and we're listening, it's really, really good. Um yeah. And you and especially that breakup song, that breakup song I thought was absolutely brilliant. I thought the way you done it, yeah, like yeah. cutting between the 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 flat and then the on stage part of it. I thought it was I really loved that. Yep. Yep. Like um, I said, I just yeah, I don't know. But maybe if I revisit it, maybe like in a wee while, maybe like I'll maybe be into it. I don't know. But at you least for last no, I was watching it with Stacey. What did she think of it? Oh, she was sleeping, so... Oh. <laughs> Big volumes. Albeit, she, she, she was sleeping before the movie started. Right, so. fair enough. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. But I, it was, uh, yeah, like I said, maybe like, maybe once I actually learn more about this, uh, the actual guy, Jonathan Larson, maybe I might revisit it and I might yeah. have a better understanding about the fella, but as it stood of last night, just the... Uh, just, I don't know, never hit home with me at all. So, you know. Not every film has to hit. You know, some, some films that people can really find emotionally impactful and as much and goes, yeah. you know, I didn't really get anything from it. So, I got, I, I had no expectation. I really got something from it. I would, it probably might even be pushing it my top 10 this year. Um, I would give it a very, very solid 8 out of 10. Hope yourself. Well, for the first hour, I'm <laughs> giving it a 4 out of 10. Oh, so harsh, so harsh, sir. Um, so, so harsh. Anyway, we've got another film, a film that's in the cinema right now. Um, you've not seen it, so I'll be very brief on this one. Um, it's a film called Spencer, directed by Pablo Larraín, who directed a film called Jackie and also The Club and a film called Emma as well. And the plot of this film is essentially it's about Princess Diana or um, 
Diana Spencer. Um, as she spends four days at, um, I think it must be Balmoral, or Windsor possibly, for Christmas with the Royals at a time when her marriage is falling apart. Um, the Queen and that obviously don't like her. She still seems very much an outsider. And it's her trying to find her place within the, the in the world, but amongst the Royals, um, and also feel the whole world against her as well. And she's having a little bit of a mental, well, not a little bit, she's having a mental breakdown um, as this is happening. Um, the, at the start of the film, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a true life fable, you know, because no one knows if this is a true story of what, you know, happened on that four day, you know, weekend. Um, or, you know, so it's just a, it's a, a director and writer's idea of what could have happened. So this is, this is not Downton Abbey. It's very much, or not Downton Abbey, uh, The Crown. It's very much sort of like a, a writer's perception of what it would have been to being Diana during that time. Um, in the film, you get Kristen Stewart uh, playing uh, Diana. Sally Hawkins uh, plays her like handmaiden. Timothy Spall plays a guy in charge of Windsor, and he's a bit of, he's like sort of a military man. Uh, Sean Harris plays a chef. Uh, and Jack Farthing plays the Prince of Wales. Um, this one, beautifully shot, looks absolutely stunning. Um, Pablo Ryan uh, knows how to, how to shoot a movie. He, he is a, a wonderful director. Um, with a wonderful sense of time and place. It very much feels like it is from the kind of, must be late 80s, early 90s, it's sort of in that era. You know, it's very much in that. It's really well done. Um Kirsten Stewart, again, is excellent. Just about nails the voice. Yes, maybe starts a wee bit, but just about nails the accent. Doesn't really look much like her, but gets the accent down right. But she gets the idea of the awkwardness of Diana, that this sort of was always mm. sort of very present. She was someone who was, you know, extraordinarily beautiful, but quite awkward as a person. And they, and they, kind of, they do mm. kind of get that through. Um, and she definitely captures the ethos of what people maybe of what Diana maybe was, even if people don't agree with. Her, I think this feels quite a true perception of who this woman was. Um, there are some; it's it's very much a portrait of a woman on edge, um, and and that's how you have to view the film. Uh, I mean, watching that, it's a woman like sort of dealing with a psychological breakdown and trying to recover from that and try to find who she is and move on from that. And from that point of view, it does a really good job, um, and a very worthwhile watch. A couple of things I really didn't like about it was the score. It felt very intrusive. Um, yeah. And it's one of those ones that makes dialogue quite hard to hear because of it. You know, you feel like you're kind of struggling to hear what's been said. Um, right. But that was a bit of annoyance. Um, and it is, again, as much as you feel for Diane as a person, you go like this, oh, what shit, you know, her husband's cheating on her and she's the whole press are, are you know, coming down on her and all that kind of stuff. It's still really hard to feel sorry for someone of that much privilege. Mm. You know, yes, yeah. she's not. She isn't some fucking lowly commoner who was working in a diner on the Princess Founder. She was, she was from like this all. She she lived in an estate next to Windsor as a family. You know, so it's like she comes from fucking uh, money and privilege. So you don't feel like it's hard to feel that, that that you know that life is that difficult for her. But obviously it was in terms of like sort of like dealing with her, her kids and sort of having like this sort of divorce and having her, having her husband cheating on her completely in public. Obviously it was a very traumatic experience but seeing her as the underdog um is quite difficult when you're watching a film like this you can go she's in a position that everyone else would probably give their you know right arm for you know to be in that position yeah yeah uh <laughs> you know it's, but it's all relevant you know i mean it's like you know her struggles are relevant to her life exactly you know exactly exactly 
but as you tend to notice that a lot about like the royal family and the extended family, they they all kind of only go after people that are like in that kind of upper class echelon. Yeah. So, um, I yeah. So yeah. That film, I've really enjoyed the film. I would say watch it purely for Kristen Stewart's um, performance. She is she's had an excellent performance as Diana, um, and it's just it's a very worthwhile watch. Um, and it, it does look absolutely stunning as well. It does look stunning. Um, I got a very solid seven out of ten. So, Next film, we'll move on to one on Amazon. Um, if you dare give this more than um, Tick, Tick, Boom, <laughs> we'll have an argument. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, and that film is called The Marksman, directed by Robert Lorenz, who did a film three years ago called Trouble with the Curve, which I actually quite liked, um, with Clint Eastwood playing a baseball um, scout. Um, the plot of this film is, uh, is a, a ranchman who is sort of is ex-army, um, ex-marine, sorry, um, he has a plot of land. He's going to lose his farm um, because the bank's going to take it. It happens to be on the Mexican-American border. One day he's driving home and uh, a young family are escaping across the border. He stops to try and help them, or at least get them assistance, at which point the cartels turn up and try and kill them. Um, he shoots back, kills one of the cartel, who happens to be the brother of the major you know, leader of the cartels. So at that point, they, become, they start hunting him across America as he tries to get the young son of a woman who was killed in the crossfire, son to his family in Chicago. That's basically yeah. the story, yes. Uh, yeah. In the film, you've got Liam Neeson doing an American accent, which was most jarring for everyone. Well, not really. He can't, he's trying to do an American accent, but he's not really doing it. Um, Catherine Winnick, Jacob Perez, Juan Pablo Reba, and Teresa Ruiz. Um, I talked a lot about the last film. What do you think of this one? <laughs> well, first and foremost, I did manage to get a Coco uh, reference in there nice. in the movie. So, Very good. you know, <laughs> I'll get on to that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was a couple of things that kind of just made me scratch my head. Like, uh, a wee bit into the movie when he's already got the boy and they're headed to Chicago, it seemed like why would you bother circling it on the map where you were going, right? So that yeah. was one. You know, because the fella's from America, so surely he's got a damn good idea for the fucking It's not Chicago. him that does it. It's, it's, it's a young boy that does it. Oh, is it? Oh, And then the other one was like, con- with the whole thing about like, if somebody was chasing you, surely using your card all the time would be like the last thing you would do. Well, here's the thing. I don't think he knows someone's after him until quite late on in the film. That's the point. He's mm-hmm. the only when he phones the police officer and they find out his house has been, he's been destroyed. That's when he realises. So that's yeah. why he would probably use it. Um, yeah. As a uh, film, we, yeah. we think it was a film. Yeah. Sorry, I've gone a bit off, brother. Yeah. Uh, I, as a film, I actually quite enjoyed it. It's just, <laughs> yeah. See, the, see, the problem is, you know what you're getting. It's like, 100% it's true. Like, 100% true. It, you see Liam Neeson's uh, name attached to it, you already know it's going to be the bog standard Liam Neeson film of someone's got kidnapped, he's involved in it, and he's borderline about to come out with his catchphrase of, I've got a particular set of skills. Yes, that's yes. it. That's know? it, yeah. That's this time I was just expecting them to say it in Spanish <laughs> <laughs> or Portuguese or whatever they yes. speak in Mexico. In uh, Spanish. I, I, you know, that 
literally that is it. He's like the army of our generation. It's like you just oh, know. Do not even come close to put him in the same ballpark as army. That's ridiculous. But I just, in terms of, if you see his name on the poster, you know what you're getting from it. Red, you know? He he has essentially now made his own genre of film. Yes. It, yeah. it was like, there was a couple of bad moments though when I seen him like stepping up and the camera cuts away because he's pure leaning on his knee to stand up and all that. Aye. We <laughs> talked about guy, you know? We talked about yeah. this last week um, with Cry Macho um, because Clint Eastwood's in that film and every step that Clint Eastwood takes in that film looks like he's in pain. And I felt that about Liam Neeson in this film, that every step he took, anything they try to do, he looked like clearly the man's got some problems with his knees, his hips, his back, everything seems to be hurting. And it just you can tell because they just they don't ever spend like, anything they have to do anything active, like run or move. They cut about nine times to try and like cover the ground of him doing it, um, and he yeah. is very—he is very much sleepwalking through this. He, he is—he is turned up on the Sunday night, you know, for a film starting the Monday morning. He has—he's like done very little to sort of, you know, dive deep into his character. He's playing exactly the same character he has played in about <laughs> fifty different films now. Like, there's no difference between yeah. this guy and that one we watched with the trucker. What was the trucker film we watched? Like, Cold as Ice or some shit like that. Or, Aye, aye, somewhat like Something like that, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly the same character. There's absolutely no difference in the character um, on this. Nope. The only thing I did think, and I thought they did try and do something a little bit with it and maybe it fell away towards the end, was the, the main villain. They seemed to be trying to put a wee mm. bit in, like, sort of nuance. Like, he was a psychopath, but he, seemed to, he somehow had feelings a little bit almost. So they are trying to do that, but then they kind of forgot about that about an hour <laughs> into it. But it felt like that felt like an interest that you try and put it through. Um, and the fact that it just ends in a, in a predictable hail of gunfire, you saw any nuance yeah. they were going for was totally lost to me. Yep, yep, 100%, 100%. But, you know, that is there's something so just bargain bin brilliant about it, you know. It's just, <laughs> he is... I don't know. <laughs> he is this guy, he does, straight, he does straight to DVD, straight to Schumann Fodder now. That's what he's... Him and yeah. Bruce Willis are, and even Nick Cage are all kind of in the same boat. All these, like at one time grade A top level movie stars who are just yeah. doing so much work now just for a paycheck, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 And you know, that's I definitely say this one is definitely a hundred times better than the trucker one. That's what I will give it, you know. Uh, I found this story a lot more just interesting and compelling, you know. I will give you a nap up. This one was definitely more compelling than the Cold as ice or fucking ice road trucker, whatever that was called. That one, yeah, it was nah, certainly more enjoyable. Definitely more enjoyable than that one. That was not a good, yeah. um, not a good film. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm scared to ask you how much you're giving this out of ten. Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you about my Coco reference. Oh yes, go with Coco reference. <laughs> sorry. So it was when they were at the barn, at the farm, and like Liam and the wee boys up in the hay, and Liam turns to him and goes, "Can you make a distraction?" Without uh, blinking an eye, I thumped the Stacey and went, Remember me. <laughs> See, we boys up at the window doing the song. <laughs> you proud of oh, that one? It. Oh, I was, because we were both of us were laughing for at least a good solid five minutes about this, the image of this wee boy at a window doing this song. <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, I'll tell me about shoots him in the head. <laughs> <laughs> what a distraction, though. <laughs> yeah, missed, missed that. They missed that in Coco, didn't they? The, the whole cartel thing that wasn't in Coco. 
Uh, yeah, so out of 10, I'm giving it a solid 6 out of 10. Okay. I'm giving it a 5. <laughs> I'm going to see, there you go. It's not bad. That's yeah. middle of the road. That, five, I'd still say, is very watchable in this day and age. Five is a watchable film if you're sitting at home on a Friday night and there's nothing else to watch and you just want something dumb and stupid. This just about yeah. fulfills all the, the attributes of that. Aye. Just about. <laughs> it wasn't good in any way. Anyway, on to our films in the cinema just now, and that's a film called King Richard, which I'm always happy to see the words Richard and King put in the same sentence. <laughs> um, this is directed by Ronaldo Marquez Green, uh, who did a film called Monsters of Men and Good Joe Bell. And this is a sort of a biopic about the the Williams family, really very much focused on um, the father, um, Richard Williams, who was sort of who trained and sort of brought up Venus and Serena to be tennis champions. And it's, it's basically uh, okay. them trying to sort of um, sort of their story as as they sort of pursue that you know from very difficult background you know living in Compton and um, not exactly a hotbed of tennis and sort of dealing with the racism they would have of like these two young black women uh, going into playing like white country clubs and all that kind of stuff you know so it's, it's sort of pushing that and he seems very much an outsider but a bit, bit, bit of a maverick bit crazy but you know as we all know ultimately he was right you know because he made he has planned to make his two daughters. The greatest tennis player, tennis player of any generation, pretty much worked. Um, there can't really be much doubt in that. You know, he's, he's done well. So this is just their story of how, how it all came about. Um, <coughs> Richard Williams is played by Will Smith. You've got John Berthenthal, um, the Punisher himself. He pops up playing sort of the main coach. Uh, Demi Singleton and Sania Sidney, they play the Venus and Serena um, sisters. Uh, Tony Goldwyn's in there as well. And as you and Ellis plays the, 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 the wife um, of. Uh, Will Smith um, it's you could be really facetious and say you know trust Hollywood to find the you know the film about two of the greatest sportswomen in history and focus on the one man involved in their success you know you could you could put that on it yeah you could go that spin now aye which but in in this film it does kind of work you know, because from what, you know, the, the Venus family are involved in it. They're the producers on the film as well. So it's very much from their guys. Um, I think the father was very much a very self-driven man and very very focused as well and sacrificed a lot of his own, you know, time, money, personal life in order to see his two daughters achieve this, you know, success. Um, so from that, it's a very enjoyable sports documentary. Um like I said, a bit unusual that it's focusing on the coach rather than the player, so it's, it's kind of different. Not, the only one I really think it's done that in the past was maybe medical. Um, nice mm. hockey one. It's sort of more for, it was sort of all about kind of Herb Brooks and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, definitely Will Smith's best performance in years, but it is the kind of performance that Oscar loves. So you can see why he's attracted to, you know, why he was sort of a big, why, why he's getting a lot of like awards buzz just now. And it, it's very much in that, in, in, in that world. Um, the kind of big problem had not a big problem, just one of the big the kind of biggest issues you have with it is the story is so well known. I think it's you can't really see as underdogs, you know, because like it's not like some story you never heard of. But some like someone winning the Masters back in nineteen twenty who was a complete amateur and never played the game, something like that. And you go, oh my god, it knows happened. We all know who the Serena, Venus and Serena are. We all know they came from hardship. So you're kind of watching it going, but I know where this ends. Yes. You know? Yeah. Aye, there's, aye, you already know the story, even the ongoing story, because I think they're still kind of active in the yeah. tennis world anyway. 
you know. So, aye, uh, yeah. So even when like if they lose a game, you go, yeah, but I know it all works out for them. So there's, there's not a lot of. Aye, I think that's probably why they shifted more of the possibly yes to the coach. You know, because like I said, there's not really much of a story to tell if it's still ongoing. You know, aye. whereas you can go into the into their life and try and find a more interesting character to look at. Exactly, and it's oh. it's not like it's, it's not like Rocky where the, like the story is them going the distance or anything like that. The, the story is you know they become the greatest that the world has ever seen. You know, so 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 we all know the end point of it. But even with that, it's, it's good. It's like we we saw it on a Sunday, it's good Sunday viewing. Very, it's a really good, yeah. it's good, a good, it's a good sports like kind of like biopic. You know, it, it does uncover a few things that maybe people didn't know about. You know, you know just how influential the father was and things he had to do in order to um. Um, to, to see his daughter succeed, um, but yeah, it's 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 just it's all very fine. Mm. You know, I can see why you can a lot of buzz about it because you know for the Oscars, but just generally because I can see the kind of film that will really appeal to like sort of the Oscar voter and you know sort of award voters. I didn't think it was anything particularly special. I thought it was just very okay and very all right, but very watchable, you know, and everything like that. But. I not nothing didn't, nothing didn't really blow me away. Just I found it no different from like you know another hundred documentaries or sort of sports things I've seen that Disney put out. You know Disney are always yes. kind of this. Nothing really beyond that. You know I could easily watched you know the McFarlane USA one was out a few years ago um, with Kevin Costner and the, the coaching role for that one. That was great, but I didn't know anything about that story, so I was, I was more intrigued to know as to where this ended. There's there's, there's not a lot of. Um, you know, where does this end? Uh, you know, so yeah. so you kind of lost that part of it. But no, good, decent watch. Um, maybe not a cinema watch in that respect. You know, there is quite a lot of money to spend for a two and a half hour film to go and see, to, to watch this um, when there are, you know, bigger stuff out. So when it comes on Netflix, which eventually will, or Amazon, but it's a good Sunday afternoon film to sit and, sit and watch in the, in the, uh, at home. Um, so I give that a very nice solid one. seven out of ten. There you go. Nice one. Nice one. Yeah. yeah good stuff. Uh, from that, we go on to the very last film of the week, one that you have seen, so we'll be talking about that one as well. Um, and that is the the 60th movie from Disney um, uh, Animation, which I don't know if there's been some of the bit about this because I don't know if they're counting Song of the South as one of their 60 or if they're, if they're, if they're denying all knowledge of making Song of the South still. Um, but anyway, they're calling it their 60th movie um, and that is a film called Encanto, um, directed by Jared Bush. Who directed Zootropolis? Uh, it was co-director of Zootropolis. Uh, Byron Howard, who directed uh, Bolt, Tangled, and Zootropolis, and Carries Castro Smith. Uh, she was on as co-director, and she it's her de- it's her debut um, uh, behind the film. Um, plot is about set in Colombia, and you've got a family who all have magical powers. When they, when they all come of age, they get magical powers. Apart from one girl, who when she came of her day of age, she didn't get the powers. And she's trying to understand that. She still loves her family, but the family's starting to fall apart. They're beginning to see cracks appearing in, in the, the life and uh, their magic and their very magical house. And she sets out to uncover what caused the um what's causing this degradation of the family and the magic. That's <laughs> kind of it, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. With songs by Lynn Manuel Miranda, which is nice. Um and if you've got Stephanie Beatrice, uh, Beatrice, I think it may, I can't remember how to it, from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She plays the, the main character. John Lagazamo pops up in it as well, Wilma Valderrama, uh, and Angie Sippola as, as well. Um, what do you think of this one? 
Yeah, this was enjoyable. I really enjoyed this movie. Mm. It's, uh, <clears throat> I even quite enjoyed that wee short right at the very start before the movie, movie oh, the re- started. The wee raccoons. <laughs> I liked it as well. I thought it was really cute. Yeah. I don't really know what the point of it was, but it was nice. Well, enough, it's the idea know. that you like you you get angry at your parents thinking they don't know, but in reality they've experienced mm. exactly the same as you. So, so they're, they're, mm. when they tell you something is bad, they're probably talking from experience. Um, yeah, they tell kids to respect their parents. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <Fair Okay>. <laughs> I was just like, come on, the baby raccoons, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. Yeah, this movie was nice. Uh, you know, it was kind of very colourful, very kind of sing-songy. Uh, you know, it had a nice message in it, you know, for, like, kids and all that to grasp onto. Uh, and it's always, like, the animation is just so fucking good nowadays. It's, like, it's actually mind-blowing how good it is. Oh, know? it looks stunning. Absolutely stunning. This is, like, what almost a body away from, like, just sitting there going, like, this actually looks really realistic. If it's not for the fact that they make them slightly less human either by doing like big eyes or slightly funny shaped heads or whatever it's like all body proportions if it wasn't for that you would actually be sitting there like this is just visually amazing no i mean this thing that's what i like but disney makes their characters look like cartoons which i'm very happy with because i think you get to the point they make them too lifelike you get you get to that polar express and that kind of way where it's a little bit creepy yes yeah 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 yeah. uh yeah I found the world very engaging as well. I quite yep. liked the backstory of this whole entire movie. Uh, yeah. One of the things I picked up on, I don't know if you picked up on it or not, was I kind of thought that the girl never got a like a magic car like thing, a uh, door thing, was because like she touched the candle and then she rubbed her hands on her dress and then touched the door handle. Right. And that's what I kind of took from like, or maybe the magic from the candle never get passed to the door handle because like she touched like she wiped herself down in her dress when like as a kid. I don't know. Maybe that was me just reading into it. But that's what I, I never I never picked up on that. I just I just assumed that the, the house knows what you deserve. Um yeah 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 and they knew that her not having powers was just as important as everyone else having powers. Which mm. becomes a sort of like the she the, there's a there's a main point to that. Um what do you think of the songs? Because I wasn't, I, I liked the songs, but none of them had me singing after. Whereas, like, when I first saw Moana, I was like, properly could not stop singing Moana. Whereas, this one, I don't really remember any songs from this. Well, if you could keep up with that first song right at the very start of the movie, oh, my Jesus, God, that that was going at 100 miles an hour in that second chorus. Even I was like, what are they even saying? Aye. <laughs> I was like, subtitles, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of one of those ones that's kind of. It helps the movie, but outside of the movie, eh, probably not. I Aye. could, I could actually see this becoming like a live Disney show, mm. see it like Disneyland or something. Yeah, it's got yeah. that kind of charm. The songs are kind of catchy enough. I could definitely see that kind of thing happening. With it. Yeah, but, yeah. I like. I mean, I'm the same. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it looked, like you said, that looked absolutely gorgeous. Um, all the vocal performances were really good. No one really sort of shone out. It's all, you know, there are some big names in there, but not massive names. So they don't really focus on who, the, you know, there's no like sort of like, oh my God, kids, look, we've got this person here. Um, Great job. Like the songs didn't really bust out for me. That's the only thing that like sort of felt like I did. I, was, I, just, I just wasn't humming them or singing them after. Like, because like mm. after I saw Moana, like I was singing, you know, Make Waves for like, you know, a month after and I was doing the, the, the rock <laughs> song for a good 
month as well, you know. So they really they hit home. Um, and I did like the fact the story is it's very small. It's just about the family, but it's got massive stakes. You know, yes. she's not trying to save the world, but she's trying to save her world. So it feels like there is a, you know, but also if she doesn't, there's a chance that whoever was after them could find them. Because it seems to have made this little sort of like, essentially like sort of like almost secret village where people can live happily and the magic mm. can almost protect them. So if, if she was to lose that, then the danger they were in in the past might come back to them. You don't know for sure, but that, there's that sort of that hint. So I liked it was very, it was a small story with big states. That, that, that felt really nice. And yeah, I just thought it was a really charming, lovely family film. You know, it felt like a really good... Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's not a shot that Disney did a good family film. You know, they're, they're well known for it. But I liked all the characters. I liked, I liked the main girl. I thought she was really fun. I liked all mm. the family members. I liked the one who could, like, hear things at a great distance. I thought she was really funny. <laughs> And yeah. it just it just it hit all the right notes. I, I thought it was really a really lovely, well done bit of Disney. And it's enough in it for adults as well. Kids will be happy with it. I think it just it's in that Disney sweet spot of like what Disney does really well. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I it's just Disney by the numbers. There's nothing outstanding about it that's gonna make you go, this is them pushing the boat on again. It's just a Aye. nice solid movie, you know. Aye, that's right. It's a solid film. It's not but it's not a frozen which is that massive international breakout appeal where everybody, you know, made billions and stuff like that. It's not quite that level. It's not Moana level, but it's certainly, you know, a solid Disney film. You will not be it's not gonna look out of place in your Disney collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. So I would give it seven and a half out of ten. What about you? Ooh, I was giving it seven as well. There you go. See, so we're both from the same with that <laughs> one. Finally, we agree on something this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, from Liam Neeson, maybe should just retire now. <laughs> possibly, yes. Um, next week, we've some interesting stuff to watch. We've got a film called Bruised on Netflix, which is about lady MMA fighters, um, which I've watched today. Very interesting movie. It's got Halle Berry starring and directing. Um, we've also got in the cinema House of Gucci, which looks quite insane to be honest. Looks like like sort of like Dallas on steroids, um, and also on Disney because it is a festive season. We're going into the festive spirit. And um, by the next recording, we are going to watch Home Sweet Home Alone, the new reboot of the Home Alone franchise. We are going to delve into this. Oh, yeah. Oh God, Dallas. Oh God! I mean, oh, I've seen as a man. I think the Home Alone films are utter shit. I think both of them yeah. are utter shit. So um, this has really nowhere to go but up, in my opinion. I don't even know why you're torturing yourself. Nah, I, I watch some rubbish sometimes. There's actually not a lot out. That's why we're doing it tomorrow. So there's not actually that much out. <laughs> <laughs> so we're watching Home Sweet Home. It's actually got a really funny, like, cast in it. Like it's got like. Yeah. Um, Who's um Kimmy Schmidt is in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got Rob Delaney and stuff in it. It's actually got a really interestingly funny cast, just maybe not utilized. Anyway, I haven't seen it yet. I don't yeah. know how it's gonna go, but we're gonna watch that. Do you, do you remember how do you remember do you remember our address for people to find us? Do you remember how what our yeah, yeah, yeah. are? Uh, you can find us at all the usual social media haunts at three beers in a movie, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Well done. And that's us for this week. I've been Richard. You've been Barry. And you've been listening to Three Beers in a Movie.